The reading is taken from Exodus chapter 18, beginning to read at verse 1, and it can be found on page 75. Now Jethro, the priest of Midian and father-in-law of Moses, heard of everything God had done for Moses and for his people Israel, and how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. After Moses had sent his wife Zipporah, his father-in-law Jethro received her and her two sons. One son was named Gershon, for Moses said, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. And the other was named Eliza, for he said, My father's God was my helper. He saved me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, together with Moses' sons and wife, came to him in the wilderness where he was camped near the mountain of God. Jethro had sent word to him, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. They greeted each other and then went into the tent. Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake and about all the hardships they had met along the way and how the Lord had saved them. Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things that the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. He said, Praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hands of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh, and who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods, for he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat a meal with Moses' father-in-law in the presence of God. The next day, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people and they stood round him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, What is this you're doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge, while all these people stand round you from morning till evening? Moses answered him, Because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. Moses' father-in-law replied, What you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me, and I will give you some advice, and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them his decrees and instructions, 
and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties and tens. Let them serve as judges for the people at all times, but let them bring every difficult case to you. The simple cases they can decide for themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. He chose capable men from all Israel and made them leaders of the people, officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties and tens. They served as judges for the people at all times. The difficult cases they brought to Moses, but the simple ones they decided themselves. Then Moses sent his father-in-law on his way, and Jethro returned to his own country. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please keep the passage open in front of you, so page 75 if you've closed your Bibles, uh, Exodus 18. Let me pray for us. Father, we pray please that, uh, we would, that you would help us to be attentive to your word, to listen, and to be ready to apply what we read to our lives. Help us to be humble before you. Amen. Well, our passage today contains two essential truths about being a Christian. This passage, it may feel a little bit obscure that we've got this passage in the middle of the book of Exodus where this guy Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, turns up. The in-laws turn up and we get this chapter all about that which just seems a little bit out of place compared to what we've had elsewhere. Who is this guy? Why does he turn up? Why do we need to know about it? And yet this passage forms a hinge in the book of Exodus. Uh, the book of Exodus splits roughly in half at this point. The first half, uh, we've already seen, we've already come through, uh, there's a lot of action going on. The people of God, uh, the Israelites, rescued from Egypt, rescued from slavery in Egypt, and we've seen that. They've come out of Egypt through the Red Sea. You've seen all the, that action. And now this is the hinge and after this, the tone really changes in the book of Exodus. There is a lot more about uh, God's law and uh, instructions for the people. And this chapter, like I say, is a hinge. So the first half of the chapter really re relates back to what's come so far. And the second half anticipates what's to come. 
those two halves of the book, which as you sort of step back and look at the book of Exodus as a whole, these two halves, they each contain a, a key major truths that we need to hold on to. And we need both of them, and we need to hold them together. A bit like two wings on a bird. A bird doesn't do so well if it's only got one wing, does it? It needs both wings. We need both these truths. One from the first half of the passage, one from the second half. And actually they relate to one from the first half of the whole book and one from the second half uh, of the whole book. Let me show you as we go through. What are these two key truths? The first is uh, set free. A Christian is someone who is set free. And we see this in the first half of the chapter. Jethro turns up, Moses' father-in-law turns up, and we see right from the start of the chapter that the focus is on what God has done in setting God's people free. Ah, we seem to have gone on a little far there. Just back to the, the first point on the screen. Thank you. So have a look at verse 1. Now Jethro, the priest of Midian and father-in-law of Moses, heard of everything God had done for Moses and for his people Israel and how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now you see straight away from that first verse, what's Jethro heard about? How God has set his people free. That's what Jethro's heard about. So the focus right from the start of the chapter is, this is what God has done so far. He set his people free. And then you get the bit about Moses' children. And do you notice there that, again, the same theme is being brought out for us? So uh, Jethro, uh, it says in verse 2, sorry, that Moses had sent away his wife Zipporah. We don't know why he'd send her away. We don't know when he'd send her away. But we do know that he'd send her away. And she went to her father, to Jethro. And then we're told about Moses' sons. It says that Jethro received her and her two sons, one son named Gershon. For Moses said, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. Now, if you know the book of Exodus, you know that we've already heard about uh, Gershon. It's actually in, back in chapter 2. That's when Moses fled from Egypt, where God's people were enslaved. He had to flee from Egypt because he'd killed an Egyptian. He fled, went off into the wilderness, and met and married this woman Zipporah. And it says that they had a son, and he named him Gershom. And the reason for calling him Gershom was because Moses is saying, I'm a foreigner in a foreign land. That's where we were back in chapter 2. That's where Moses was. Having fled, he's a foreigner. Things have gone horribly wrong. But now, now we find he had two sons. There is another son. So verse 4, the name of the other, the other was named Eliezer. For he said, my father's God has, was my helper. He saved me from the sword of Pharaoh. See, this second son has a more hopeful name. A name which says, God has rescued me. God has been my helper. He saved me from the sword of Pharaoh. That was Moses' experience. That though he was a foreigner, though he'd been exiled, yet God came to his rescue, rescued him from the sword of Pharaoh. And actually what we see here is this is the pattern that there has been for the people of Israel as well. They were foreigners, strangers. They were in Egypt. 
exiled. Yeah, they were in slavery. And then God rescued them. Rescued them from the sword of Pharaoh. So the pattern for, uh, that, that is told in the names of Moses' sons is the pattern of what has happened to the people of Israel. That they've been set free. And God's deliverance is mentioned yet again. Once Jethro has actually arrived with Moses, Moses welcomes him in. They go into the tent together. And verse 8, Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake and about all the hardships they'd met along the way and how the Lord had saved them. So we hear right at the beginning of the chapter, Jethro knows all about what the Lord has done in rescuing the Israelites. We hear about it through the names of Moses' sons. And now Jethro goes into the tent and Moses tells him again all that the Lord has done how the Lord has rescued his people. And then Jethro responds to what he hears about this rescue. Now notice Jethro himself wasn't there when it all happened. He's just hearing about it. He wasn't there, he didn't see the rescue, he didn't see the plagues, he didn't see the sea parted for the people to walk through, he didn't see the water coming from the rock that we heard about last week. And yet he responds with what can only really be a conversion, a coming to faith. He was, it says at the start of the passage, a priest of Midian. That is, he would have been a priest of other gods, false gods, idols. And yet now he comes to faith. And there are many parallels between the way he responds and the way that someone who comes to faith today, to faith in Jesus, responds. Because that's where the rescue is for us. Not in, from slavery in Egypt, but from slavery to sin. And we can be set free through Jesus' death and resurrection. Through his death in our place uh, and his resurrection. Jethro, when he hears about the rescue, is filled with joy. It says that in verse 9, doesn't it? Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel. There is joy when someone comes to faith, when someone realises the rescue that is possible through Jesus, when they know that their sins are dealt with, that they can be forgiven for all they have done wrong. There is great joy in hearing about the rescue of the cross. And then there's praise, verse 10. Jethro says, praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh. There's praise to God for what he has done. There is a turning to God, verse 11. He says, Now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods, for he did this to those who treated Israel arrogantly. Now he knows the Lord is greater than all those other gods. The Lord is supreme over all. The God of gods, Lord of lords. Which isn't saying that other gods are real or that they are real gods. But in some ways the book of Exodus has been a competition between the Lord and the gods of Egypt. And the Lord has defeated them at every turn. So too with us. When someone comes to faith there is a realisation that Jesus is Lord. And the turning to him and away from other gods. There's a turning to God. And then there's worship. Verse 12, then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God. 
Our response to the Lord, to his sacrifice for us, is is not sacrifice of animals, but it is our whole lives. Beginning of Romans chapter 12 says that our worship is to be that of our whole lives, our bodies brought as living sacrifices to God. And then for Jethro, there is the welcome uh, uh, into the fellowship of believers. End of verse 12. He says, and Aaron came with the elders of Israel to eat a meal with Moses' father-in-law in the presence of God. He is welcomed in and they eat together. Here in the middle of this book, in the middle of the book of Exodus, is a foreigner, a Midianite, who having heard about the rescue is himself set free from the worship of other gods, is brought to faith and welcomed into God's people which shows us right at the center of this book. It's not just about being an Israelite, just about being descended from Abraham. As we've seen before, it's not about actually your biology, who you're descended from. It's not about being part of that nation, just about that. It is actually about faith in God. And here you've got a Midianite who comes in, into the people of God. I wonder whether you know of this faith, the faith in Jesus of the joy of knowing about God's rescue, the praise of God, the turning to God and away from false gods, of the worship of giving your whole life to God and of being welcomed into the fellowship of believers. Jethro here represents for us the response we are to have. He hadn't seen it all, but yet he responded. We too haven't seen it all. We weren't there in the Exodus, but we also weren't there at the cross of Jesus, were we? Which is what the Exodus points to. You and I weren't there. We weren't present. We didn't see it happen. We didn't see the empty tomb. We've heard about it. And Jethro represents us in a way to say, actually, yes, he wasn't there, but he responded with faith. I wonder if you've responded with this kind of faith yet. If not yet, how about today? To respond with this joy. Maybe you need to find out more. How about doing Hope Explored? Well, that's the first truth, set free. A Christian is someone who is set free, and we've seen that, that being rescued, pictured in the first half of the book of Exodus. And then as we go over the hinge, as it were, into the second half of the book, we see a big change take place. At the start of verse 13, it says, the next day, the next day. Well, what happens on that next day? Well, the theme of the passage, like I say, changes. Moses still needs to go about his work. Just because his father-in-law is around doesn't mean to say he can take a holiday from his job. He's got to keep going. And what's his job? It is to serve as judge for the people. So verse 13. The next day, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people. And they stood round him from morning till evening. The people standing around, waiting to hear what Moses will say about the different situations people are in, the different problems that they bring to him. But Jethro is concerned. There's a big problem. So he asks Moses what he's doing and why he's doing this. And Moses answers, verse 15, because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. But Jethro recognises this is unsustainable. Moses, you can't keep going like this. 
Notice what Jethro says in verse 19. He says, listen now to me and I will give you some advice and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them his decrees and instructions and show them the way they are to live and how they're to behave. Jethro is saying, Moses, the task that you're doing is important. It's not that you shouldn't be doing it. You should be doing it. But you can't do it this way. You're going to burn out. The issue is how you're doing it. Jethro says you need to set up a system so that the easier cases can be dealt with by others. The easy ones, the ones that, that others can do. You get other people to do them, not you, Moses. Select people to be judges, he's told, and he's given the characteristics to look for. They're to fear God, they're to be trustworthy, and they're to be honest. Those are the people they're to look for, he's to look for. And then it will be win-win. Verse 23, if you do this, and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. Everyone, you know, everyone's a winner if you do this. Now, why are we being told this? Some take it that this is given to us to give us a pattern for church governance. And there is great wisdom, obviously, in that, in taking the lessons from this and applying it to church structure, church order, church governance. Uh, After all, it it isn't wise that one person alone should lead a church. Uh, That is not particularly healthy. It leads to burnout. That is why you need several people involved in leading a church. So I think there is great wisdom here to be applied to church governance. But actually, I I think um, Andrew Satch and Richard Aldrit are right to say uh, in their book, Dig Deeper, to help us see how this second half of the chapter relates to the second half of the book. So they say, notice in verse 16 that Moses explains that what he is doing is informing the people of God's decrees and instructions. And then in verse 20, he says, teach them uh, his decrees and instructions and show them the way they are to live. So this is saying this is all about the people being able to get hold of God's decrees and instructions. And what we find in the rest of the book of Exodus is it is dominated by God's laws, God's decrees, God's instructions. So in their book on this, this is what Satch and Aldrich say. There's a quote up on the screen. Moses is overworked because of the needs of a rescued people to know how God wants them to live. A change is ahead when God's commandments will no longer come only from the mouth of Moses on a case-by-case basis, but will be known much more widely. And that's what we see as we go on. Chapters uh, 19 onwards, they get to Sinai and God then tells them his laws. And that is what this is setting up. The people need to know how to live as God's people, as God's rescued people. They need to know what difference it will make in their everyday lives. So here's the second important truth. If you go on to the next slide, we've had it on the screen already. Uh, uh, Set free to obey the Lord. You see, the Israelites were not set free like you might set free a wild animal. Yeah, that you set the animal free and say, off you go, 
I mean, you can tell it that, it doesn't understand, but you can say, off you go, and it goes, and to set it free means it can go and do whatever it wants, go wherever it wants. That is not how God sets free his people. He doesn't set them free from slavery in a way to say, off you go now, do whatever you like. No, he sets them free in order for them to come to himself to then learn how to live as his people. And we need to realise that true freedom is not found merely in the removal of constraints or the removal of restrictions. True freedom is found in serving the Lord, in obeying him. Another quote for you from uh, Alistair Roberts and Andrew Wilson in the book Echoes of Exodus, which is a fabulous book. Um, They say our generation is confused as to the nature of true freedom. This is what they say. I think we've got another quote to come up on the screen. No matter how often we experience liberation from constraints, limitations and oppressions, we still find ourselves falling into new forms of bondage. So they go on. We get free from boredom and fall into slavery to distraction. We pursue liberty from prohibitions and fall into bondage to addictions. We escape repression and become slaves to lust. See, what they're saying is, if we think that freedom is found just in removing restrictions, we actually find that we end up in even greater slavery, even greater problems. What we need to realise is that freedom, real freedom, is found in being in a relationship with the Lord, living according to his word. Since he is our creator, he knows the best way for us to live. This last week, uh, we had a delivery of a bed. It was partially assembled when it arrived. You know the kind of thing, you get the bits of wood in and you get a bag of screws and the instructions. Now I'm pleased to say, and you'll be relieved to know, it all went very well. The bed was assembled uh, and it was all fine, but it was assembled okay because I stuck to the instructions. I gather there are some people, some maybe men in particular, who when it comes to the instructions don't bother looking. Now for me that would be a disaster, wouldn't it? If I'd thought, well, forget the instructions, I'm just going to go with where I want to put the screws. I don't want to be constrained by by the the instructions of of the maker. I'm going to do my own thing. It, It would be a disaster and the bed would not have been made. So too for us. We need to obey the maker's instructions. True freedom is not found in just doing whatever we want. It is found in obeying the Lord. Now that is totally relevant for each one of us, isn't it? We need the two wings of this bird. We are set free. If you're a Christian, you're set free to obey the Lord. We need both of those things, day by day. And actually, increasingly, this is becoming challenging for us. And there are more people in uh, professions now where actually it is increasingly difficult to know how do I live day by day living out the Lord's instructions in the culture that we're in. It is becoming harder for people. I'm more aware of this uh, than before. Those in medical professions, those in education, it is just becoming harder and harder. How do you know how to live? How do you know how to respond to different situations? We have the word of God, and that is all we need. We have God's instructions. 
But we also have each other. And we need each other. It's interesting, isn't it, that in the context here of what's going on, um, Moses sets up the situation where you've got groups of people, obviously tens and hundreds and thousands, and, and, and you've got people um, helping those different groups. Actually, people need one another. Not as opposed to God's word, but to help one another know how to apply God's word. And that's what we need as well. Because I think in our professions or in, in, our, in our daily lives, there are situations that we come across where we go, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how to apply God's word in this situation. Maybe I don't know God's word well enough. Maybe I need someone else to help me. And actually, we do need one another to help us sit under God's word and to know how to live it out. And therefore, I want to encourage you to look for those relationships. Are you in those kind of relationships within the church family where we're helping one another apply God's word? Home groups are a great place to do this. If you're not in one, uh, please talk to me afterwards uh, and we'd love to get you into a home group to help you think about this. I think this is going to become more and more important for us. But uh, this is particularly relevant. Yes, we need to apply this to ourselves. Both, heart, both wings of the bird need to be intact, uh, intact don't they? Let's go on um, in the slide to the, to the next slide just so that we've got the heading up. Ah, yeah, that quote as well. There you go. Let's move on from that one. <laughs> there we go. Set free to obey the Lord. Now, I think we need to apply this also to the Church of England. Now, I'm not going to spend a long time on this. But, uh, as I said, in the last week, the bishops of the Church of England have proposed a significant change. Uh, the national press sort of seems to have played it down a little bit, almost, by saying that they, um, and they're right to say that the bishops are saying there shouldn't be a change in the doctrine of marriage. That's what they're saying. But they are proposing producing prayers to mark same-sex relationships. Now, there is a lot to be said on this subject. And again, I want to encourage you, if you can, to get along to the Lent course to those evenings so that we can think about this more and can engage on this. For some, these issues... Uh, uh, are, are ones which maybe you haven't thought about before. And maybe some you'd assume, well, of course the church should be blessing same-sex uh, marriages or same-sex relationships. Maybe they should be conducting same-sex marriages. Maybe you would think, well, of course that's right. Can I encourage you to engage with God's word, to engage with the Bible on what it actually says on these subjects? Because what the bishops are proposing is, I think, contrary to what the Bible teaches. It is not a good change that they are making. Look at it in the light of this passage, that issue of sexuality, in the light of this passage. You've got two halves to it, haven't you? Set free to obey the Lord. Everyone needs to hear about the rescue, about God's rescue, about the rescue available through Jesus' death through the Lamb, Jesus, killed in our place. That is good news for everyone. Heterosexual, homosexual, bisexual, whoever. Everyone and anyone needs to hear the great news of salvation. And that salvation brings us into a relationship with Jesus, which is the relationship we were made for. In that relationship is real joy. And we want to welcome everyone to Emmanuel. The call of Jesus is to all people. And we need to know 
that being a Christian is not merely to be set free from slavery to, be, to sin, but is also to be set free to obey God in every area of life. But what the bishops are proposing is to pray blessings on that which God says is wrong. No, what we need in the most loving way possible is for people to come to hear of the rescue and to then come to Jesus, to come to God, to live for him in obedience to him. Where does that mean we will go from here? Where will the Church of England go? How will we as Emmanuel Church respond to this? I don't know. We're going to need to work that out. I believe we will probably need to make some kind of stand. But what that will be, I don't know. We're going to need to work that out together. But we've got to keep going, proclaiming the gospel. Keep preaching it. The gospel of freedom from slavery to sin through the cross of Jesus and freedom to obey the Lord. Why keep proclaiming it? Why keep going when it's going to be unpopular? Why keep going telling your friends about Jesus? Because it's good news. That's what the gospel means, isn't it? That's what the word gospel means. It is good news for everyone, for all people of all nations, of all sexualities. It is good news that we can be washed clean by Jesus' blood, can come into a relationship with him, a relationship of love and obedience. There is no other gospel. There is no other salvation. There is no other freedom. Let me lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we praise you for your word. And thank you for these two big truths. That those who come to Jesus are set free from sin. And that we are set free to obey you and that that is true freedom help us father in our day-to-day -day lives to know how to obey you father there are many areas that we can find it difficult give us humility before you help us to help one another to live under your word amen